0: Here we are now with episode number 14 in our series, Impressions of Grace and Grit. What kind of help really helps? It's a good question. Have you ever tried to help someone? Have you ever realized that someone does need help? Have you ever known someone in a situation where it's quite obvious they're going to need some sort of help? Well, it's in those situations that you need to ask, what kind of help really helps? And that's what we discuss in this chapter here. Ken and Treya, they go on this meditation retreat or summit or conference sort of thingy. And it's run by Kalu Rinpoche. Rinpoche. Kalu Rinpoche. And he's a Tibetan Buddhist meditation teacher. And he's quite famous, quite well established. And his story is that he spent 13 years in solitary meditation. Can you imagine that? 13 years without talking to anyone And in that time, he was just living in caves, living off the land, and meditating day in, day out, non-stop. And sometime after the years as they went past, well, a sort of myth came up around this Kalu monk figure of who is he, what is he doing, is he really out there? And then one of the heads of the Tibetan Buddhism branches of the organized the, the religion went out to sort of see, okay, well, what's the story here? And let's see if he's the real deal. And he found out, well, yes, he is the real deal. And he went on to establish, well, many meditation centers around the world. Once he'd come out of his solitary years, Apparently, he's quite reluctant to actually come out of his solitary years. I can imagine it would be... Well, I can't really imagine, can I? I mean, what would it be like? What would it be like? It's really nothing quite like it, is there? I mean, when you travel to another country, you have a culture shock. But that's because everything's different. But here it's like, well... It will be like culture shock, but everywhere you go, (laughs) maybe, maybe that sort of begins to scratch away at trying to describe what it might be like, trying to imagine what it might be like. And the other thing that Ken mentions here is, well, when Treya had her dream, and this is at this conference with this Kalu monk figure, when she had her dream about Changing her name from Terry to Treya. Well, on that same night, Ken actually had a dream. And his dream was that the Zen teacher, or the Buddhist teacher, had given him a magical book that somehow contained all the secrets of the universe. But that's just a funny piece of anecdotal information, which... Is interesting if you're familiar with the work of Ken Wilber and his other books. Is it a book that he ended up writing, perhaps? Maybe, maybe. And Ken, he sort of says, well, he says, I'm not a Buddhist. He can't really be a Buddhist. And he says it's very hard for him to affiliate with any one tradition because he's so open to all of them he's got quite a lot of affinities with Vedanta Hinduism and Christian mysticism. So he uses this Chesterton's quip quote to explain how he feels about Buddhism. And he says, All religions are the same, especially Buddhism. And when it comes to practice... Well, you have to choose some sort of method. And Ken decided, well, getting into Buddhism is not the worst thing to go about spending your time on. And the practice, or the core practice that they learn, Ken and Treya, at this summit is a meditation called Tonglen, which means taking and sending. And this is actually a meditation which I spoke about in my series, Learning to Breathe. So that was a 10-part series where we spoke about a whole range of meditative practices and breathing techniques and awareness techniques. And in the very last episode, actually it was the series finale, we talked about metta barma or loving-kindness meditation. And that essentially is what is happening here. That is very much the same as Tonglen meditation, which is taking and sending. And the instructions, well, the practice that this is, which occupied the middle portion of their retreat, is taking in the pain of someone else. You visualize taking it in as this black, tar, smoky, evil sort of thing. And you feel it. And then when you send out, you give your goodness to the person that you're taking this pain from. You take the goodness in you and send it to them. So it's taking and sending. And many people, when they first do this, well, they have a reaction. And Ken definitely did, because he was thinking, my goodness, I'm going to be thinking about, well, my wife and her cancer. Does that mean I'm going to get the cancer or the disease myself? And while they're in this big auditorium doing this, and they're all practicing this meditation, this one woman stood up in the audience and said what virtually everybody there was thinking which is, but what if I'm doing this with someone who is really sick and I start to get that sickness myself? And in a second, this monk, this teacher, Kalu, said, you should think, oh good, it's working. And that was the point of the meditation, because it cuts down your own ego. It cuts down your so-called selfless Buddhist ...idea of yourself... ...your selfless monk idea... ...because you're really taking on the suffering of others. And even doing that in an imaginary way is... ...well, it makes a lot of headway into... ...how you feel about yourself and how you see yourself. And there's also a Christian equivalent of this... ...which Ken points out... ...which is that, well... Christ was willing to take on the sins of the world and thus transform humanity and himself. So, the idea of taking the sins of others is the parallel here in Christian mysticism. And the thing about Tonglin is well, first of all, actually, no one does get sick. <laughs> So you can't get cancer from doing a meditation on someone else. So that as much is clear. And then the other thing is that when you practice this and you're experienced in it, of course, this is the other thing is that this is sort of an advanced meditation. You need a base meditation. They don't teach this on day one. This was in the middle of a course with a high level monk. So that's another thing to be aware of. But when you are practiced in it, the other thing is that you find yourself no longer recoiling in the face of suffering, both of yours and your own. You stop running from pain. And this means that you're able to just be with it. You're willing to take it in and release and allow the changes to happen within And this simple willingness is helping you to let go of your ego-protecting tendencies. And this means you embrace pain, you embrace darkness, you embrace sickness, and you put it into a universal context. And that means that it's not only just you and your isolated pain, but rather a chance to establish a connection with all others who are hurting. And this was, of course, very big for Ken and Treya, because it allowed them to stop judging illness and suffering. And the other thing is, well, they go to this retreat, and then they head home, and Trey decides to write some things down, write some thoughts, and she sends a piece in to Transpersonal Psychology, which is a journal, the Journal of Transpersonal Psychology, and New Age magazine. And, well, it gets published. And it turns out that it's quite a successful piece, and it gets quite a big response, And it was here that, well, Treya became noticed, I guess you would say, how do I say this clearly? She became on the radar of the Oprah Winfrey show. So I mentioned before that she was asked to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. And it's this piece that she's written here that has triggered that. And as it turns out, she actually declined the offer. So, (laughs) wow. Wow. Imagine de- declining the Oprah Winfrey Show. How high class can you get? <laughs> I don't know really how I feel about that. I guess, I mean, there was there's more to the story because she was going to be on like a panel with Bernie Siegel, and I don't know who that is, but she got the I, I'm un, I'm under the impression she got the feeling that it was just sort of going to be an argument sort of thing. Or she just didn't feel it right. But, I mean, what an opportunity to go on Oprah Winfrey. I mean, after that, you can sell a book. After that, you can make so much. After that, you've got your audience. (laughs) Wow. And here I am, just trying to slog it away from the bottom. (laughs) Oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, dear. What am I thinking? Let's get back on track. Let's not make this about me. (laughs) Let's not make this about me. But I guess, I believe actually also Ken Wilber's been asked to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. Was it just Trey? I mean, I think on a separate occasion he was asked. I mean, his, his books have been referenced on there. But I mean, he doesn't give interviews. So I guess some people are just untouchable. You could say, is that the word for these high-class superhuman beings? I don't know. So the piece that she wrote, Treya, is titled, What Kind of Help Really Helps? And she tells the story of sitting in the kitchen with an old friend who, some months earlier, had learned that he had had cancer. And she sort of starts saying, well, my mother had cancer, and she had surgery, and that was 15 years ago, and she felt fine. And then she starts sort of saying all the reasons why she thought her mum had had cancer. And her friend sort of stopped her and said, Hey, whoa, do you realize what you're doing? You're treating your mother like an object. And he goes on to explain, look, I feel like I I can see what you're doing. He can see what she's doing. And other people have done it to him as well. And, well, they're explaining theories. And he says that he feels like their theories are something done to him, not done to help him. The thought of him having cancer, he figures, must have frightened the people in his life so much that they need to find a reason, an explanation, a meaning for it. And that didn't help. That caused him a lot of pain. And Treya is shocked. She thinks, wow, I never thought of it that way. And she'd just grown accustomed to talking about cancer causes because of how long ago it was since her mother had had it. She'd sort of just grown normal to it. She'd lost her sensitivity for how important it is to listen and care for someone in an open way. So it was sort of like a double. It was sort of a double hit for Treya when she realised this, because it was like, well, you've got this friend here, who has obviously felt uncomfortable with something that you've said, and feeling a shock between your understanding and your approach, or your lack of compassion. And also, she realises, well, maybe my mother had had some of that from me. Maybe my mother had actually felt a burden from my theorizing, and I'd missed an opportunity to be close with her and to show compassion in some of the most difficult times in her life. So Treya realizes that instead of saying what did I do wrong, or what did you do wrong, or where did you make the mistake, or where did you fail, or what caused your cancer. She can say, I care about you, what can I do to help? And she'd figured originally that it was easiest, well, of course this was talking to her friend, this was before she got cancer, and then she got cancer for herself, and she experienced this for herself. And then even she went on to talk to cancer patients, even when she was... Diagnosed herself and going through it herself and she figured the first way or the initial way to go about doing that was to talk about her own experiences. But she soon saw that often it was not what a particular person needed to hear. And she figures the only way she could work out how to help someone was by listening. By asking them questions. And she says it was only when she heard what they were trying to say that she could get a sense of what they needed. Now, some people at certain points in their journey want information. They need to know what are their options. What is going on? And at other points, they don't need information. Too much information can be overbearing. Too much information can just cloud their judgment. And in other points, well, they need support. They need unconditional support. And Treya, well, she's certain that she did play a role in her becoming ill. But that role was mostly unconscious and unintentional. And by contrast, she now knows that she plays a large role, which is very conscious and intentional, in getting well and staying well. And that really shows a strong maturity to a response of, well, people theorizing about you. People, with coming up, people coming up with ideas of what it means to have a cause of cancer or an illness. And she also says that unraveling the past can too easily degenerate into a kind of self-blame, which makes it harder, not easier, to make healthy, conscious choices. And that's quite insightful. Because so often in spiritual and contemplative practices, and even my, I myself personally, you hear this thing of saying, reflect on the past, learn from your mistakes, integrate your narrative, integrate your experiences, and so on and so forth. But in this case, it appears that, well, maybe that can lead to just... Too much guilt can lead to a tunnel vision of feeling, why, why, why did I get cancer? Why me? Why now? And Trey puts this nicely because she says, life is too wonderfully complex for a simple statement like, you create your own reality to be simply true. And she goes on to explain that, well, it might be better to say, you affect your reality. And yet you're still in this vast, complex, mysterious thing that is always changing. And now when she talks to someone who's been newly diagnosed with cancer, or who has had a recurrence, or who's growing tired of years of years of dealing with cancer... She reminds herself that she doesn't have to give concrete ideas or advice to be of help. Just listening is helping. Just sharing world space is helping. And sometimes just acknowledging that you don't know what to say or you don't know how to respond, well, that can go a bit of a way. Sharing feelings authentically can mean a lot, even if those feelings are unclear. You can say, I feel unclear about how to respond to your illness. I don't know what to say to your stories of your illness. I feel helpless. I feel like there was more I could do. I don't want to give you concrete ideas because they might be wrong. I don't want to give you an affirmative statement. I don't want to give you a clearly defined imperative, even if they're imperatives which, in many cases, are actually quite positive. Imperatives like, fight for your life, or change yourself, or be ready to die consciously. And that's what Treya wrote about in this article. And it's clear that she's a very experienced, very sensitive, very mature being at this stage of her journey. She's well aware of a vast array of psychological and emotional and spiritual issues that surround illnesses. And that's why it's just so great to read these words, to hear about these stories, to learn from someone so brilliant, so alive in so many ways, and so rich with an inner wealth. So, we'll keep this short. That's the end of chapter number 14. That's the end of that chapter, and we'll be back soon with more, and that's all I have to say for now.